Welcome to Tres Cuentos. Today we begin a journey through the myths of three different South American cultures, the myths of creation. Today's cuento comes from the distant land of La Patagonia, a region encompassing the vast southernmost tip of South America, a region shared by Argentina and Chile, a fantastic land that was once thought to be inhabited by giants because the first European explorer met very tall people. The sources of this cuento are the anonymous tale found in the Internet called The Solitude That Always Existed and The Story of Kosh and the First Creation from the book Legends, Myths, Stories and Other Tehuelche Tales presented by Córdoba and Sugubono. Tres Cuentos, the literary podcast dedicated to the traditional narratives of Latin America, is supported in part by a grant from the National Association of Latino Arts and Cultures, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, the Ford Foundation, Southwest Airlines, and the Cerna Foundation through a grant from the NALAC Fund for the Arts Grant Program. As well, Tres Cuentos is supported in part by a grant from Alternate Roots, supporting the creation and presentation of original art that is rooted in communities of place, tradition, and spirit. Remember to give us a like on Facebook, follow us on iTunes, and subscribe to our website in Bass Sprout. My name is Carolina Quiroga Stoltz, and now I invite you to pay careful attention to the following cuento. You may fall in love with it. The Vast Solitude The Tehuelches tell that long time ago there was no sky, no sea, no land, only a vast obscurity and its dense and humid duskiness. And inside that darkness lived the one that had always existed, Kosh, the sky, surrounded by the greatest of all the silences, where he could only hear his own deep sighs. It is said that although his own presence and existence had been enough for him in a moment of unexplainable and profound solitude, he cried. And he cried because although he did not know love, he longed for company. Although he knew the sound of his own sighs, he wished to hear a song. Although he was used to the darkness, he wondered how a colorful world would be. He cried his emptiness for such a long time that his salted tears, filled with sadness, created a vast ocean, a rock, the first sea, the first element of nature. 
and like sadness sometimes lingers for a long time, a rock's waters extended itself as far as the horizon. When Kosh realized that the waters were rising with such a nostalgic quietness that threatened to absorb him, he stopped crying and just sighed. <sighs> and that deep sigh became the wind that began to blow, breaking and dissolving that old obscurity. And with its dancing steps, the wind began to agitate the waters of Arroc in rhythmic tides. Some say that it was the wind who dissipated the fog, revealing the light and the horizon. But others say that the first light was also Kosh's work. Who knows, maybe one led to the other. The elders say that surrounded by water in darkness, Kosh wished to see the world that was taking form. So he walked away, hoping he could contemplate it from a distance. But since he couldn't see a thing, he raised his arm, and with a hand gesture, Kosh cut the darkness. <sighs> it is said that that gesture was so quick and graceful that his hand produced a spark that became Shalishen, the sun, the one who from the moment he was born, he knew his role. So Shalishen rose up over the tides of Arak and shone over the landscape, over those waters that were letting themselves go, allowing the wind to play with them, contracting and dissolving. Next, Salishen, the sun, created the clouds, who immediately felt an urge for tirelessly wandering throughout the skies. When the wind saw the clouds, he felt the desire of playing with them, too. So he began to push them around, huffing and puffing, watching them stretch and change forms as he pleased. Soft and soft at first, but the more he enjoyed the game, the wind blew them with a discovered fury that he didn't even know he was capable of. He blew them so strongly, so violently, that the clouds began to clash against each other, becoming thin strips. And the poor clouds, so young, so confused about what was going on, they began to grunt and cry in resounding thunders and sharp lightnings that put the naughty wind in his place. In the meantime, Kosh began to model his art. First, he filled the waters with fish and then created a huge island and filled it with land animals, birds and insects. Everything was looking so beautiful that the sun, the wind, and the clouds agreed to help preserve the work. 
the sun promised to shine and warm up the land. The clouds promised to bring the beneficial rain. And the wind promised to blow with moderation so the grass could grow again and again. And that is how life became sweet in Kosh Island. Next, feeling another inspirational thought, the creator crossed the waters and made a large piece of land raise from the waters. Once he was satisfied, Kosh smiled and walked towards the horizon from where he never returned. And things would have remained as Kosh left them if it wasn't for the misbehaving giant children of Dons, the darkness. One day, Nostech, one of Thon's arrogant children, either because of boredom or resentment, kidnapped Theo, one of the clouds, and locked her up in his cave. Theo's sisters looked for her everywhere, across the sky, but no one knew where she was. Impotent, and in despair, the clouds filled themselves with fury and unleashed a terrible storm. The rain poured down the mountain, washing away everything in its course, floating caves, holes, and nests. The poor animals paid for the giant's blunder and selfish act. After three days and three nights, Salishen, the son, wanted to know what was causing such a big drama and appeared among the clouds. When he found out the details, he set off over the horizon to tell Kosh the unsettling news. Without losing his temper, Kosh declared, I promise you that the abuser will be punished. And if Teo is with child, that child will be more powerful than whoever started this mess. Next morning, Salishin went to communicate the prophecy to the saddened clouds, who told Sochem, the wind, who gave the news to everyone who had ears to listen. And that is how the chingolo, the small bird who has an orange neck, told the guanaco, who is the llama's cousin. Then the guanaco told the ñandú, the distant cousin of the ostrich. Then the ñandú told the fox. The fox told the hare. The hare told the armadillo. And he told the puma. So Chim did such a great job delivering the message that he stopped at the entrance of each cavern, each hole, each nest, making sure that every animal, bird, insect, plant, and dust particle understood what Kosh had decreed. When the giant Nostek realized what could happen to him, fear cramped his stomach, and for the first time, the giant felt afraid of the one who hadn't been born but could destroy him. 
full of anger, Noshtek looked at Teo's swollen belly and thought of killing and eating them when they least expected. So one night, while Teo slept, Noshtek hit her with such fury that was able to rip her and pulled out the baby from her entrails. Then Noshtek proceeded to dismember the fallen cloud. However, not everything was lost. Someone else inside the cave had heard the prophecy, Terwer, a rodent, who had her home underground. It is said that Terwer was the one who saved the child. While the cannibal was tearing and devouring Teo's body, Terwer silently slid around the scene, and when the giant had grabbed the baby with his bloody hands and was about to gobble him down in one bite, Terwer beat the giant's right foot. Nostek cried in pain, <laughs> dropping the baby. Quickly, Terwer grabbed the baby and swiftly took him away and hid him underground. But the shelter was too precarious for both. Nostek paced back and forth with sounding steps, making the whole cave shiver in fear of crumbling down. Then the giant went out to look through the island for that nefarious child that one day could inflict pain and destruction upon his father. Terwer had no other option than to ask the animals for help. An assembly was convened, and the urgent matter discussed. The black feathers bird Kius, who was the only one that had been in that other land beyond the waters that Kosh had created before leaving, proposed to take the child there, so his vengeful father could never get hold of him. The day came, and Terwer took the child to the shores of a lake and hid him among some logs, and called Kiken, the Chingolo, to call all the animals so they could help escort the child to safety. But not everyone attended the call. For instance, the puma refused to help. The Nyandu and the Flamingo arrived late, and the fox was intercepted by the giant. When Nostek found out about the animal's plans, he rushed to the lake. But a red-chest bird distracted the murderer with a beautiful song. Thanks to the brave intervention of this little bird, Nostek arrived late to conclude his evil deed. He even missed seeing when the swan took off carrying the baby on his back. All that Nostek saw was a white majestic bird crossing the skies towards the west. But he didn't know that on the bird's back, sleeping in a cushy pillow of feathers, his son rode away to safety. The swan took Kosh protege to La Patagonia. That child was no other than the legendary hero of the Tehuelches, Elal, 
whose story has been told many, many times. But that is another cuento. Y colorín colorado, este cuento se ha acabado. The end. Very well, let's talk about the culture from which this story comes from, the Tehuelches. One of the first descriptions given about the people from La Patagonia, the bottom of South America, was that its inhabitants were giants. Such a story was passed down from mouth to mouth, later from newspapers to books, constantly repeating that in that part of the world, the people had disproportionate height. Indeed, they seemed to be tall, but they were not the type of giants the Europeans had in mind, the ones depicted in their myths and lore. Those tall people were either the Selkham, or the Yamahas, or the Kerandíes, the first inhabitants of La Tierra del Fuego. Those groups, along with the Gununacuna and the Aoninek, were part of the big Tehuelche family. Different from most of the Tehuelche groups, the northern ones adopted the horse brought by the Europeans. It should be mentioned that the 16th century brought lots of changes for the Tehuelche family. Before the Spanish arrival, the Araucanos, also known as the Mapuches, began to migrate south into the Tehuelches territories. It might have caused some friction, but it also created alliances. In consequence, by the 20th century, the native groups of Las Pampas, do you remember episode 9? When we talked about the gauchos, well, those native groups of Las Pampas were now the mixed-race descendants of both groups, Mapuches and Tehuelches. This means that the alliances brought a mix of languages, arts, and traditions. During that same century, the Argentinian government, like many other governments in the Americas, claimed in the name of progress, that the indigenous people had to be civilized in order to resemble the European or Criollo cultures. Such progress implied that the natives had to forget their language, traditions, beliefs, and history. Similar to what had happened to the natives at the missions in the southwest of the United States. For instance, those children who would speak their native language in the classroom would be punished. That is how, in 1960, in Argentina, language was used by scientists and politicians as a way to dictate who was a native and who was not, and also to determine if that person had value or not. And unfortunately, it is still like that in many places. For instance, not too long ago, I heard on the news about a school teacher here in the United States that had tried to shame a student that she heard was speaking Spanish in her classroom. 
This to say that usually those who are in power and consider themselves as the dominant culture or the civilized people have used language as a discriminatory tool in order to segregate and classify superior versus inferior, developed versus undeveloped, and it saddens me that many believed that story. Now, truly, I really don't understand what the term civilized people means, because in the name of civilization, the most diabolical massacres have been committed, and many even argued that it was necessary. Unfortunately, literature did its part too, and began using the strategy of making the other invisible by publishing books about the natives of the Americas with titles such as The Last Cacique, or The Last Chief, or The Last Tehuelche. Such lie repeated itself for so long that more than one, especially in schools, believed it. Because when we declare that something is the last, we're saying that nothing else comes after. That is their end. On the other hand, some may claim that the natives made themselves invisible too, by encouraging their children to learn the language and the ways of the newcomers so they would not suffer. And even if that was a reason, I would not blame them. You do what it takes to keep your children away from punishment. As well, the Machiavellian tactic of divide and conquer was applied. Do you remember that I said at the beginning that during the 16th century, the Mapuches began to migrate south towards the Tehuelches lands? Well, in 1878, Stanislao Ceballos justified the violent displacement and murders of the Mapuche people, arguing that they were invading Chilean lands that only the Tehuelches had the right of staying. However, by that year, both groups, Mapuches and Tehuelches, had integrated each other in many aspects. The real goal behind that claim was to divide them by turning them against each other. Aceballos confessed in his book The Conquest of the 15,000 Leagues. The plan was to break alliances, break their will, turn them into alcoholics, and get them to fight alongside the Chilean army. So either way, the native numbers would be reduced and eventually become extinct. I know that all that I have said seems to place the native groups as victims, but do not think that they didn't fight back. Until today, as the Mayans do, if you listen to episode 12 of The Legend of La Tatuana, the Tehuelches and their brothers and sisters across the Americas are still fighting for the right to have their ancestral lands back. There is so much more I could say, but I'd rather finish this episode on a positive note. Here is another of the sweetest creation myths from our brothers, the Guarani people in Paraguay. 
first father of the Warani people stood up in the middle of the darkness, and inspired by the reflections of his own heart, he created the flames and the thin fog, the beginning of a song. While he still felt inspired, he created love, but he had no one to give it to. He created language, but no one could hear him speak it. He chose the gods to build the world and take care of the fire, fog, rain, and wind. He handed them the music and the words of the sacred hymn so that they could give life to woman and man. Now, the world would not be in silence at last. So, love became communion, and language took over life, and the first father redeemed his solitude in the company of the man and the woman who sing, We are walking this land. We are walking this shiny and beautiful land. Well, friends, this is all for now. My name is Carolina Quiroga-Stoltz, and Tres Cuentos tells you that whoever created this world or these worlds did an incredible job, and we should be thankful for it, but also we should consider the responsibility that that entitles. Wouldn't you like this beautiful planet and its creations to last forever? Next time, on our journey through creation myths, we will meet three very curious men that let the night escape and how our ancestors finally were able to catch some sleep. Until the next cuento. Remember to follow Tres Cuentos on Facebook, iTunes, Buzzsprout, iVox, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify. Tres Cuentos is an exercise of creative writing, researching, and retelling. This podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by Carolina Quiroga Stoltz. Proof listening, proof reading by my good friend Don Heimel. The music and sound effects were downloaded from the YouTube audio library and freesound.org. The list of credits and the sources of this story can be found in the transcript. Thanks for listening. Adios, adios. Mm-hmm.